Now, everyone that I've ever met that's like really successful in any way, they've always said the biggest regret that I've ever had is I always played small. And even when I thought I was playing big, it was just always small. Small plans means small results and, um, you know, small actions, small goals, like all those things. Yeah, in my personal opinion, I think if you're not you know, setting yourself unrealistic goals and pushing yourself, I think you're doing yourself an injustice. Like, I don't know why you'd be playing so safe, to be honest. (laughs) The goal isn't to live forever. The goal is to create something that will. Welcome to Perspective, a podcast for wedding craves, where we sit down often with a special guest and talk about our many years of experience in the wedding industry so that you can learn from us and grow your wedding business. I have to tell you something, I've been obsessed with today's guest, Jai Long, who is broadcasting all the way from Melbourne, Australia, to talk to us about mindset and how setting unrealistic goals will most certainly have a big impact on our businesses. For those of our listeners unfamiliar with today's guest, Jai is a mentor in mindset, habits, money strategies, productivity, and creative business. But as a fellow listener of his chart-topping podcast, Make Your Break, I can say he knows his shit. Jai is also a serial entrepreneur running a six- and seven-figure business. He's a Rangefinder 30 rising star wedding photographer at Free the Bird, He is a founder of the Wedding Photography Summit. He runs the six-figure business map and has just launched a vegan clothing label over at noskin.co. I think this episode, which of course is sponsored by With Jack and for a limited time only by Beans IE, is going to be fire. But Greg, what are we drinking? We are drinking some more coffee from our Beans IE subscription and it's the little sample pack that they sent out this month. Yeah. And it's from Hola Coffee, which I think is from Madrid. Mm -hmm. And it's the Brazilian Santo Andre. And it said sample for espresso. So we brewed it up in our espresso machine. Yes, we did. Hang on. I've not tried it yet. What's your first take on it? Mm. Oh my God, the chocolate just came right through there. You getting that? Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. That's intense chocolate. Damn. (laughs) So obviously in the UK, it's 10 o'clock right now and Mm. we're drinking espressos. I think we might be mad, but <laughs> what the hell. Um, yeah, so like I mentioned, guys, uh, we are sponsored by Beans.ie. As photographers, filmmakers, and business owners, we know the power of stories, and Beans.ie do too. Beans.ie started because they knew there were so many stories about the world of coffee, and not just about the regions or the varieties, but about the people behind the coffee, the roasters, and us, the drinkers. This is the most flexible coffee subscription that we've ever used, showcasing some of the top roasters around the world, bringing something different to the table. If you've been listening to Greg and I talk for years about what we've been drinking at our podcast table, you might get excited by this because now you can join us. Curate your own monthly subscription from an ever-changing list of beautiful coffees. And because we love you so much, we have a promo code for you. Perspective one five that's perspective 15 to get 15 percent off your first order that's promo code perspective one five to get 15 percent off your first order for coffees with stories sent straight to your door so yeah uh jai how are you and what are you drinking good guys thanks for inviting me up 
Our pleasure. We're so excited to have you on. Yeah, that was a, quite an intro. I mean, it makes me feel all special. <laughs> <laughs> You've got so many accolades. Getting through them was quite a hard task, I have to say. Whooft. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's fine. I love it. I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> so what are you drinking? So right now I'm drinking chamomile tea, actually. It's it's morning time here in Melbourne, and um, I was feeling a little bit under the weather, and I thought, I'll oh, we'll have a chamomile tea, and I'll probably just take a day off today. And so that's my that's my day. <laughs> yeah. Are you a coffee drinker? Because <laughs> I, th- I believe the coffee scene in Melbourne in particular, in Australia as well, is quite quite strong. Yeah. Yeah, the Melbourne here is there's it's big and um the coffee's the coffee's amazing here and I drink at least a coffee a day, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> on on the recent episodes we've been drinking from Proud Mary, a roaster in Melbourne. I don't know if you know them. Yeah, they're just around the corner from my house. Oh, oh really? Awesome. That's ah, who, that's what cool. we've been drinking the last few episodes. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and they're really really, really lovely as well. Yeah. yeah. I'll go in, I'll go in and say hi for you. Oh yeah, please do. <laughs> Our sponsor would love that, actually. <laughs> awesome. Uh, but yeah, so Jai, I I have just kind of discovered you maybe a couple of months ago, and I have been absolutely loving your podcast. But I feel like, you know, where where the hell have you been all my life? You know, mate, I'm just um, I mustn't be that good at marketing if you only just found me. You you missed the boat. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, we we quite often like to to talk to our listeners, and your name got thrown up. And ever since then, I have just been like consuming your podcast relentlessly. Awesome, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, and for our listeners out there, I I did mention it, but it is the Make Your Break podcast, and it's quite cool because they've uh, well, Jai, you've had some uh, amazing podcast guests on as well uh, as well, Fairweirista and Eric Floberg, who have also been on perspective and even Sai Sai Moore we're going to be speaking to what next week Greg yeah roughly this time next week I think as well so very much looking forward oh, to that Sai Moore is one of my favorite favorite humans ever you're in for a treat for that one yeah I I can't even remember what podcast it was I'm assuming it was yours but I don't know the episode and you guys were just chatting <laughs> and chatting and chatting and I, I was just man this is such a good vibe so it got me excited yeah, to get Sai good yeah but um, yeah, no, I've I've, I've loved size size work for yeah. for quite some time. Ever yeah. since delving into film, which I know you're into as well, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably how me and Sai met as well. Ah, oh, very right. cool, very cool. So Simon mentioned in his long introduction about you that you've got <laughs> loads of businesses on the go. You've got yep. loads of things, but I think the latest one's the vegan clothing range. Is that right? How's that going? Yeah, that's right. Yep, we're just launching that at the moment. How's it going? It's going really good. It's um, it's been a couple of years in the making now, and um, we got serious about a year ago, and we're finally we got um a lot of stock coming in from all over the world, and it's really exciting. We're just we're just doing our first product shoots and getting getting some stuff out to influencers and people, and on that path at the moment. Yeah, I, I saw you were. Uh doing some shoots. Um, I think it was Instagram stories that you had posted it on. I was like, oh yes, this is, this must be exciting. Yeah. It's exciting. Uh, how, how, how did yeah. that all happen? <clears throat> well, to be honest, it's, um, I think like vegan clothing in, in Melbourne, it's, it's always like if, if you buy like vegan clothing, you're kind of special and you don't get to wear something trendy because they're like, oh, we'll, we'll make it ethical, but we'll also make it really ugly for you. <laughs> and I kind of, just hated the fact that if I wanted something that didn't have leather or didn't 
didn't use, um, you know, dyes or glues and stuff like that from coming from animals. Um, I had to dress like a dork basically. And so I just figured like, you know what, there's a massive market. Like veganism is growing huge. It's expected to, you know, three times in the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. And, um, like why not create something that's actually trendy and it doesn't have to even, you don't even have to know it's vegan. It's just that we we're taking all the animals out of the supply chain. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm, I'm passionate about that and I just figured it's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely awesome and a, a great cause. I, I tried going vegan, uh, was it last year? Oh no, the years have slipped by me. It was two years ago, shocking. But uh, How I, many I, days did you last? Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I got, I think I got three months, yeah. which was better than nothing, but I, I, I did struggle um, to kind of consume the protein because I was going to the gym at the time and all sorts of things. But, totally. But yeah, no, good good on vegans. I, I really do love the cause and yeah, I just, maybe, you know what? I should make that a, a 2021 thing. Give it a go again. There you go. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, just a Q&A reminder to our clubhouse listeners, thank you very much for joining us this evening or this morning, wherever you are. Um, if you're not members of our Patreon, you can grab some of the content later. But yeah, like I said, the Q&A will be a little bit later in the podcast. So if you have any questions that you want to ask Jai in particular, you can speak directly to him. Um, however, Greg, let's get moving on. Jai, obviously I gave you a introduction, but I always like to hear from our guests themselves. Who are you and what do you do? So my name's Jai, Jai Long. I'm a wedding photographer. I'm a wedding photographer, business coach. I'm an entrepreneur here in Melbourne, Australia. And I've been on this path for quite a while. My first business was when I was 20 years old and I was bankrupt by the time I was 21. So that's around uh, 13, 14 years ago. And since then, I've had plenty of successful businesses and not so successful businesses. And I have, um, yeah, I've kind of carved my way through working out how can I do what I love and impact the people around me in a positive way um, every single day without having to work for the man or stress about money, stress about income, stress about time and all those type of things. So for me, I realized my superpower was to empower creatives, other creative entrepreneurs with the with the skill set and with, with the um, confidence and the mindset that they need to to go forward and um, make a big impact in their lives, because a lot of the times we think it's for it's for the privileged or it's for the special, it's for the I don't know, like the small percentage. But the way the way I see it, it's like it's for everybody, anyone that has the courage to go ahead and um, and follow their dreams, and that's why that's why I'm here. Yeah, sure. that's amazing. How did it all start for you chasing your dreams in business? When did you sort of realize you wanted to be like entrepreneurial? <clears throat> I think I think when I was probably like five years old, to be honest. Um, like I, I was that kid that was like, you know, hustling, selling lemonade at the lemonade stand and selling rocks down by the river and all that kind of stuff. I think um, for me, we grew up with no money and I think – I always sort of seen like, you know, business people, they're the ones that rule the world and they got all the money and stuff like that. And they seem to have all the things that they want. And um, from a young age, my parents used to fight so much about 
money all the time. There wasn't enough money. They both didn't have a job and they had, you know, five kids to look after and on welfare and all that kind of stuff. And we would, you know, a lot of Christmases it was like standing in line to to get um, for charities to give us give us something. And furniture would be from big charity drop-offs and clothes were from charities and food was from charities. And I think um, I didn't feel... I always just felt like dependent, I guess. And I was like, man, I don't want to be like this. I want to be independent. And so as I was growing, um, you know, I'd go to school and I left school when I was about 15, 15, 16. And um, I decided I was just going to go after it. Like there was no options for me. It wasn't like, what are you going to do when you grow up? It was like, you need to do something now to help pay the bills at home sort of thing. And business for me was the thing that got me, it changed my life, you know, because when you have a business, you are the boss. So you, you have that kind of security. It's like, I know how to make new money. I know how to, um, I know how to go out there and get the things that I want, where a lot of the times people think that business is like starting your own business and going out is the risky thing. It's, it's more safe to work for someone else. You know, that's a safe, secure job. But for me, safe, secure job is for me working for myself because I don't want to depend on someone else and their business skills with my life. Um, <laughs> especially when something like COVID-19 comes and, and we've seen this, like if you have a look at the unemployment rate, it's all the people that had the safe jobs, not, not the entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think because of that mindset um, growing up like that, I realized that if I work for myself, there's no limit to what I can do. And when I had a job, I used to tell everybody, if I didn't have a job, I'd make so much more money because th- I'm limited mm-hmm. to the time that I work, the money amount of money I can make each week because I'm on a salary. Um, the amount that I can actually do like, there's just so many limits. So because it's such a small confined box, I'm just not interested in that. I've, I've always wanted to um, go out and, and prove to myself what I can do and, and sort of push those boundaries. So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I'm like, I'm definitely born and bred business. Like I, I absolutely love it. And I think it's, I think it's life changing for so many people. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a really interesting take on the nine to five and money in general. Cause as you say, a lot of people do assume security comes from the nine to five and having a, an employer, but the way you see it is totally, it's refreshing and it's totally different. Yeah. Well, well, think about it. Like if you have a nine to five, you're dependent, you're dependent on somebody else to, to cut your paycheck each week and for them to level up their knowledge and for them to innovate their business and for them to, you know, grow and all those type of things. But for me, I'm independent. So when everyone says the economy's bad and we're going to lose the jobs and stuff like that, I'm like, your economy's bad because you chose to work for someone else. My economy's great. Okay. So you got to think about it. Like if you're independent, you have an independent economy as well. So that means you can control so much more. And we, we always have it so backwards. We, when we're dependent, it's hard to try and stay afloat during something like a pandemic or, um, you know, a GFC or anything else that happens because the person that's running the ship, the, the captain of the ship that you're on, like they can go out of business in two seconds and they won't even think twice about you. So in my mind, it's so much more unsafe to dedicate my life to work for someone else's dreams, 100%. Uh, yeah, totally. You mentioned that at 21, you kind of got into a little bit of hardship there. Are are you able to talk to us very briefly about that and how you overcame it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my first business was a massive um, cafe. It was in northern New South Wales of Australia. And um, funny enough, it was a vegan vegetarian cafe. 
<laughs> and it could sit maybe about 300 people. And we used to have music wow. festivals there. And it was just like a big monster of a thing. And um, I did an apprenticeship as an electrician before that. And I saved all my money. Um, I bought a nice car and stuff. And then I sold my car and I sold all my things. I got out a big loan, got help from all my friends and family to sort of put together this this cafe. And I did it because at the time... Um, my dad was going through a lot. He was in and out of rehab and stuff like that. And I wanted to help him. And to be able to help him, I had to get him a job, but he was unemployable. So I had to make him a job. And so he was great at cooking. So the whole point of getting him a job or, or starting the cafe was to get him into the kitchen. So then he had a purpose and he could get off the drugs and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was obviously hard for me because he actually passed away from a drug overdose two weeks before I opened the cafe and just before my 21st birthday. So from the get-go, my why was gone. And if you're running a business and you don't have a strong, solid why, it's pretty hard to get any kind of success. So I pushed on for about a year and I didn't know business. Like I was literally just like, if I sell a coffee, if it if it's if I'm selling it more uh, for more than what it cost me to make, then I'm making money. And that was the basics I knew of business, right? And it took me a little while to learn that there was like more to it. Um, but it is it is that basic. But yeah, it took me about 12 months to the day before I I was hanging on for dear life and I had to had to close up shop and forego everything to the bank and um, declare bankruptcy. So it was probably the lowest point of my life that year and um, it's also the most that I've ever learned and the most that I've ever grown and um, it set me up for the success that I got later on down the track. So it's um, in hindsight, it's probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear about your dad. Obviously, that's I can't even imagine what that's like to go through. You mentioned your why and I've heard a lot of people talk about like what your why should be. Is, is money a good enough why? Look, the thing is with wedding photography and the wedding photography business, if you want to make money, there's way easier ways to make money. It's not really why anyone becomes a wedding photographer or a wedding videographer or anything like that. Like yeah. I can think of a squillion ways to make so much money. If I just sat at home and just cr- traded crypto and got on the shares, I'd make more money than a year make you know wedding photography. Yeah, But we don't go into it because we want to make money, do we? We go into it because we love what we're doing. Like it's, it's a purpose driven life that we have. We're creating art and the fact that we get to live a good lifestyle at the same time, it's kind of like a perfect, perfect storm. It's like a mix. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say like anyone's um, out there that I've ever met is going like, yeah, man, I'm going to get rich. I'm going to become a wedding photographer because (laughs) like, I I don't really know any rich wedding photographers and you have to work bloody hard to make that happen. Um, I know that I know there's lots of comfortable wedding photographers. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, so I think the on the other side of things though is people don't have to view themselves as a struggling artist. And I think too many people think just because I'm a photographer, I don't deserve to have a minimum wage or an income or make profit or um, actually make money. You know, we're always trying mm. to justify it and we always justify it by going like, oh, you know, I edit 40 hours a week and I have a VA and I do this and I do that. Like you got to pay me my bigger prices because that's what I'm worth because that's my bills. And we try and get people to pay our bills. And I did a podcast episode about this this week. And it's like, it's an uninspiring way to push people away. Like don't tell your clients that they need to pay your bills because you don't even want to pay your bills. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's not what it's all about, right? (laughs) Um, And so we go down that path of trying to justify why we charge so much, but it's not about that at all. It's not about us making money. It's not about us having to justify anything. Mm-hmm. In fact, like 
as an artist, no one can replicate what you do. And I think that has the most value and you don't have to justify it anywhere near as much. There was an NFT that just sold actually for $68 million, like a digital um, thing just like the other day, right? So does that person have to justify why that piece of digital art is worth $68 million? Like, I don't think so. The thing that they bought was the transformation. It's like, if I buy this piece of art for $68 million, I'm a talking point to the whole world. I'm going to look successful. Mm. I'm going to, my brand is going to be elevated. So there's other reasons why that person would buy something for $68 million. They don't buy it because they hoped the person sat there for $68 million hours thinking like, yeah, so if I just paid him a dollar an hour, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. We, we, yeah, there's always like, um, yeah, I wouldn't say like becoming a wedding creative is not, is not the path to riches, mm-hmm. but we don't need to feel guilty for not being a struggling artist. Like we can absolutely make income and we can make an, enough income to make as much money as the next person. I don't see why we need to, I don't see why we need to struggle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, it's actually really funny because, so I wrote, I, I always do like pre-production uh, for the podcast, like, uh, you know, like weeks in advance. And it's funny because obviously with your most recent podcast coming out, I, and I have, so this is the question I was originally going to ask, right? What's your take on pricing accordingly and charging what we're worth for the wedding industry? In your most recent episode, I think it was episode 86 of your podcast, you literally took that phrase, charging what you're worth, and you kind of like blow it up because it's kind of a nothing statement. It doesn't mean anything, which I had never thought about. I got a little bit passionate on that episode. I was kind of actually expecting a lot of hate to come in from that episode, but... I felt like sometimes people say things that people want to hear and sometimes yeah. I'm like, man, you don't need to hear something. There's stuff that you have to hear and mm-hmm. and understand. So instead of saying like, hey, yeah, charge what you're worth, I'm like, let's dive into this and actually talk about like something totally different. When someone says, hey, this is my worth, it's like who – why did you decide that was your worth? Was that you and your mom that decided that, hey, here's my worth, I'm not going to give a discount, this is what it is? And so many people, they've, there's no science behind actually what they're worth. And it's so ego-driven of charging what you're worth because it's not about you, it's about your client and it's about the market. And in 2021, business is about our clients and the actual market. Mm-hmm. It's so important, right? So, so important because the thing is, like there's clients out there that I know that – they haven't booked me because I wasn't expensive enough. Someone else would, you know, I'll, I'll quote them $15,000 and they'll go with the person that was $25,000 yeah. because that's what they wanted. They wanted an experience that was, you know, it was elevated compared to what I was doing. And so when we believe that I'm charging what I'm worth, that's different to what someone's willing to pay, mm-hmm. completely different. And so it's so important that we adjust and adapt and pivot and and do all those things. Um to make sure we're best serving our clients, not best serving ourselves. Yeah. Does that make sense? And okay. I, did, I did an analogy like this. And now imagine if you had a house, and this is what I said on the podcast, imagine if you had a house and it was a million dollars. And then, and I've seen this during, during COVID. So it's a million dollars. And then the GFC hits, right? And then now no one will pay over $500,000 for your house anymore. So would you change the price of your house? Because is it still worth a million dollars or is it worth 500000 now, to me, it's worth 500000 because it's a house is only worth as much as someone's willing to pay. That's mm-hmm. all it's worth. Yeah. It's not actually worth a million dollars. And with COVID, when people were jumping on saying, I'll never drop my prices, I'll never change my prices. Um, you know, I don't care if there's a pan- world pandemic and I don't care if other people are doing smaller weddings. And it's like, 
if you were worth $10,000, like, are you still worth $10,000 if no one's willing to pay it? If there's no big weddings, if people are not going to fly around the world, if people don't have 200 guests, you know, there's so many variables. And I'm like, if they're not, then you're not worth $10,000. It doesn't matter what you came up with in your mind of what your market value is, you know, charge what you're worth. I'm never going to discount. It's like, well, the market dictates that and says, Hey, man, you know, things have changed. A lot of things as well. Like one, you might be getting government grants. Two, you might not be paying rent because you're getting subsidies. There's so many other things that make things cheaper. And it means that maybe your living expenses are less and your business expenses are less. You Maybe you're working from home, you don't have an office. Maybe you, you fired all your staff. Like there's so many things that make business cheaper. So are you passing on that to your clients or are you pocketing all that because you're not going to change what you're worth? I mean, you're not going to change what you're worth. You're not going to discount, right? Mm-hmm. So I just think like there's more to it than just making up a, a number in your head and then just saying, you know, s- stuff it to the clients. Like I think I think it comes down to like, hey, talk to the clients and see what they actually want. Because when I've done that, I've actually worked out that a lot of my clients want to pay more than what I even charge. And they do want a better experience. It's just I'm not giving it to them because I'm not allowing them to pay me more money. So the more flexible you are and the more that you can adapt, um, the longer you're going to be in business for. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and talking about your wedding photography, it's it's obviously beautiful and recognised in Rangefinder, Thirty Rising Star, and so on. But I once heard you mention that your wedding business, wedding photography business, is the least time-consuming business that you have. And I'm sure there's a lot of people in the audience listening who are wedding photographers, and that's their only business. And they're thinking, bloody hell, I spend all my day, every day working on that. How can that be as least time consuming? So where's everybody going wrong? Um, no one's going wrong. Absolutely not. And we all, <laughs> we all work totally different. We all work totally different. And here's some light at the end of the tunnel. I've been doing it for eight years, right? And so, guys, if you like everyone listening right now, you don't need to be thinking, oh, I need to grind for eight years. Like hopefully in eight years time, I'm still grinding as hard as I can. The thing is, and still hustling as hard as I can, the thing is you need to make smart decisions now, wherever you are in your business, you need to start working out what kind of marketing can you implement right now that's going to help you in the long game because not many of us think about the long game. We all go for the short-term success and the short-term success only lasts short-term and it means you you have to keep hustling. You have to keep hustling all the time. And Mm so like with, with that statement, it's absolutely true for me because I've done so much hustle and now I'm like, well, that stuff's self-fulfilling now. I can keep going and I still get inquiries every single day because I've put in the long-term success path to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So I think the the most important thing, like if, if someone wants a sustainable business, you know, um, is empowering themselves with some business knowledge, you know. So that's why like I've got a course for this kind of stuff and there's so many great books, there's so many great coaches, there's so many great things out there. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, they go to university and they spend so much money and they get student debt and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then they've got no business skills. But then like business skills are the cheapest things you can get. Literally, they're in books and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, my advice is like learn as quick as you can the stuff that you need to know so you don't need to keep hustling on the things that don't work. And here's a good example. If you're trying to get somewhere and you're just thinking, man, if I just keep hustling, that will do it. It's just like trying to get somewhere but running on the treadmill. It doesn't matter how far you turn up that treadmill. You're going to run harder. You're going to sweat more. Yeah, you're going to burn calories. You're not going to get anywhere. But the second that you actually learn what actually works and makes a change, it means 
the guy next to me or the 10 people next to me are running on treadmill as hard as they can. And I can literally take my time and I can walk and I can scroll Instagram and I can be on a podcast right now. I can do all these things and make it such a bigger impact than everybody else that's like trying to hustle hard. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. If anyone's interested in sort of the pricing that we were talking about earlier to learn about that for their business, the episode of Jai's podcast is amazing. Highly recommend it. And we did a podcast, I think it was maybe episode 54, 55. Yeah, something like that. With Richard Lang in the UK who talks about his flexible pricing method. Mm. So dive into that as well if you want to learn a bit more. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially if if you're if you're thinking you've got a price in mind, but you're kind of going up in like incremental steps, you know, like, oh, I'm going to increase my price to £200 every year. You know, by the time you're hitting your, your price you actually want to charge, you're an old man or an old woman. So, yeah, just a Q&A reminder. Obviously, thank you very much for joining us on Clubhouse. If you aren't a member of our Patreon page, you are leaving some amazing content on the table because you'll get access to the Q&A through our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash perspective by Cinemate. The link is in the show notes when the podcast releases. Um, But yeah, let's hear a little bit from our sponsor. With Jack was designed from the ground up and is tailored specifically for creatives. Whether you provide a service like design, development or photography or offer advice to clients, With Jack is for you. It's focused on creatives. Insurance shouldn't be complicated, so with Jack has made every step easy. You'll deal with one form and talk to one Jack as you sign up, get covered, and move on with your day. With Jack is all about bespoke insurance for creatives. Simple. That doesn't mean more forms or faff, it means less. It's not about endless features and stale service, it's about one solid policy and the personal touch. Bye bye, unnecessary fuss. Hello, creative, friendly insurance. Be a confident creative. Jai, as a mentor in business who often addresses mindset, what do you think are the most common issues plaguing business owners and what stops them from becoming successful? Uh, In the wedding photography space, it's um, people having low confidence, absolutely, and then imposter syndrome. I'd say those two... Big ones, and then also like people leaning into more of a scarcity mindset. And you hear this all the time when someone says like the market's oversaturated, or there's there's not enough for me, and there's too yep. many photographers, and um, like things like that. Man, that holds you back. And then comparison, like those, that's like a cocktail for disaster. You won't get success if you if you're running on those things. And and I can tell you why. Like if you're um if you're coming in from if you're leaning into that more like scarcity mindset, then you're putting your attention into looking around what other people are doing. And then maybe you're feeling jealous that they are like getting all the attention or they're winning or they're making more money and not realizing that like success as a resource is endless. There's Mm -hmm. so much for everybody. And like you said, someone, you know, a friend of yours does like flexible pricing or something. Hey, there's someone doing something totally different. So instead of, um, Instead of comparing and and looking around like that, like innovate, like do something different. Think a little bit differently. Position yourself differently. There's so many things that you can do. And the second that you give up what everybody you know thinks of you, um, and you and you're caring about that kind of stuff, and, and you're like comparing. Instead of comparing, go out there and actually. Um, here, here's the thing. Like 
with, with marketing, if you're comparing to someone that's getting attention, like people, you have to earn people's attention. So the reason why someone will show up and listen to me, you know, on my podcast or something, is because I've earned their attention. So that means like I've showed up for them over and over on my podcast. I show up for them over and over on my Instagram or on, on this clubhouse or on your podcast or wherever it is, mm-hmm. and I'm earning attention, right? So if someone looks at me and goes, oh man, like I don't even want to start because Jai's already got it all. It's because I'm out there actually doing the work. I'm earning it. So instead of being jealous of the attention that I have, go out there and earn your own attention. Like give value to your community. Do something. Have a voice that's um, worth listening to in your community, however that is. And you'll be putting, you'll act differently because you'll be putting your attention into the right thing instead of into the wrong thing. And I don't know about everybody listening right now, but I don't have enough energy myself to spread across like putting attention into the wrong things because Mm -hmm. it just it just like takes my energy so i have to make sure that i protect my energy by only concentrating on the right things and that means if i have to unfollow some people because they're it's not filling my cup then i'll absolutely do that if i have to protect my time a little bit more and say no i'll absolutely do that Mm -hmm. you know whatever it is that you have to do um to get wherever you want to go to like then that's what you got to do absolutely yeah. I'm actually often in your clubhouse rooms and the topic of confidence actually does get brought up quite often. So let's talk a little bit more about that because it seems to be quite a big thing over here. It Like people struggle with it a great, great deal. But I don't know why. Or maybe I do because obviously I suffer from certain aspects of, of, of confidence. Okay, so, so tell me what what do you suffer with? Like, tell me, a bit, like, with your confidence, uh-huh. what gives you maybe low confidence? You know, probably, um, <laughs> this is going to sound maybe a little bit silly, but public speaking actually was a big thing for me. And I, I tried to face that head on. I tried to, uh, well, I, I gave a talk at a, a filmmaker's conference um, in Rotterdam. And then obviously on the back end of that, we have this podcast. So, you know, I've been slowly kind of creeping my way into tackling it, but tackling it and doing it, I don't know, is that the, I I don't know what's the right or wrong approach to tackle a lack of confidence in anything, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. Look, one of the things of confidence is it's, it's a long staircase up, but it takes the elevator back down. And what I mean by that is like, you got to take like step by step by step just building that confidence. And when you get hit, like you get a negative review or someone says something negative or you're just having a shitty day, it's like, man, you hit the floor pretty fast. And it's hard to kind of try and stay up, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, um, I think like building those blocks, man, like I talk about confidence a lot because I believe it's something, it's probably a source of my success because Mm -hmm. I'm not always confident, but I'm able to summon the confidence that I need at any particular time. And I've talked about this once before, but um, sometimes I borrow confidence from the past and I think about, you know, a time that I felt amazing, a time that I impacted someone in a positive way or I did something and how did I feel and how did I make people feel? And then when I like go into that space, then I can like, you know, relax my shoulders and and I can feel more confident and my head gets taller. and, Mm -hmm. um, And the thing is like with confidence and especially as a wedding photographer and as creative, it's like people won't believe in you unless you believe in you. And if you have low confidence, you're simply not believing in yourself because if you ever talk to someone and they're, you know, they're shy and they're they're trying to um, avoid conversation, eye contact and things like that, it's 
you know, you always think there's something, there's something else happening there. Mm-hmm. And hey, I'm an introvert. You can be an introvert and confident. It's, yep. it doesn't mean like an extrovert's confident because an extrovert can also have low confidence as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does come down to playing on your strengths and, and allowing yourself to like slowly build those confidence with even small wins. That's what I do. So I guess like when I started as a wedding photographer, I shot a whole bunch of weddings for free. I shot about eight weddings for free. And one of the reasons, because I've never shot a wedding before, I didn't know how to use my camera and I had low confidence. And so I figured if I went out there and I just started shooting some weddings, even before people paid me, I was basically building my confidence and I was getting those little wins. Like, yes, I did a great job today. And I, one little thing won and, and they um, loved the photos and I got to test out my client experience and I got to test out my booking system and, and I was building my confidence like step by step by step. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. And the next thing to build confidence is proof of concept. So a lot of the times is like, I believe I could have a successful podcast, for instance, but I'm not sure if I can, but I know how to do it. So then when you launch it and you do it and then it is a success, it's like, nice. Like the proof of concept is right there. And I feel confident that I pushed through that idea. Maybe I can push through to the next idea or maybe I can level up to the next level or maybe I can do a little bit more, push a little bit more, get more uncomfortable or whatever it is. So it really is a long journey um, and it's different for everybody. Yeah, that's actually one thing. Because I remember reading, it was a new term, a new like descriptor of like whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, and it was an introverted extrovert. And I thought, yeah, that kind of uh, suits me, I suppose. Like sometimes I'm one way, sometimes I'm the other. But yeah, I I remember you, I remember listening to these um, kind of mechanisms that you that you yourself you know use to get your confidence back, remembering a time when you had confidence and then just like kind of re- like rebringing that moment back into your head to feel that, I don't know, an emotional swell or w- w- whatever the, the, the chemistry yeah, like is in your body. Wherever we put our attention, it's like it's going. That's what's going to be heightened. So if we put in our attention to like, oh man, no one likes me, and this is not a good time, and I'm not doing a great job, and my photos suck, and whatever. Like, mm-hmm. of course, like your whole everything's going to come down with it. So the more that you put your attention into, like, hey, you know what? Like, I actually did that thing last week for that person. They loved it, and then you start coming back up. Like, I, I am worth something. I, I do things for people, or. You know, whatever it is to, to sort of push your confidence back up. But mm-hmm. um, we all have to do it too. And, and that's one thing I want to say. It's like I've been working on my mindset for 14 years now, ever since I've become conscious of like knowing how I make people feel and knowing how like mindset's the key to everything. And um, it's a slow it's a slow burn and it's something that you've got to keep building. And, and I think so many people get disheartened because they're like, oh, man, I've been working on my mindset for the last three days and nothing. And they don't realize like... <laughs> It's like, man, it, ta- it takes some work. Like it is, it is, a, it is hard work. Yeah. yeah. Earlier on, or a few moments ago, you mentioned about sort of leveling up. And so let's talk about limiting beliefs. Why do you think some people have them? Does it just come down to confidence or is there something more to it? And how can people sort of mm. combat them when they start to believe these limiting beliefs are true? Well, there's a few different things and I, I've got a thing at the moment called the um, Mindset Challenge. So it's like a mindset reset. And this week I did one on net 
work net worth. Right. And one thing is like with our inner circle, the people that you hang out with the most. So um, Greg and Simon, like you guys are hanging out with each other there. Let me ask you guys, do you guys make similar income? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We work together in the same business. So yeah. 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 Do, do most of your friends make similar income? I would say so. I think, well, I, I don't know. We've never asked. I would say so. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's not something that's openly talked about in the UK. I'm not sure if it's different in other parts of the world, but mm. Income mm. is quite a taboo topic over here, but yeah. I would, I would assume they're kind of similar. Totally. Well, so what my point is, um, with your inner circle, with the people that you hang out with, a lot of the times we scale ourselves to what the limiting belief is of the people around us. Not so much even ourselves, but we see what's possible for the people around us. And then from there, we peg ourselves. And a lot of the times we don't want to stand out. We don't want to do something different. We don't want to go above and beyond because a human nature you want to be safe you want to stay the same as everybody else you want to be unremarkable you want to be unseen like that's what we want right so that's why marketing is hard for so many Mm -hmm. people but with um with your inner circle like you you, the old saying says like um you're only as good as the five people you hang out with but it's also the same as like you only make as much money as the five people you hang out with or you only do as much as the five people you hang out with like you only win the same awards as the five people you hang out with you know this is all true for me absolutely and a lot of the times, like if you do want to step up a level, the easiest way is to invite new people into your inner circle or join other people's inner circles and always be stepping upwards. Because once you start seeing someone, like for instance, you said before, like I'm, I've got a seven figure business. Like, yes, I make seven figures a year. But as soon as I did that, then a few of my friends were all now are like, you know what? I could make seven figures a year. And now they're working differently and they're implementing different strategies. And now they're believing in themselves more because they're playing a bigger game. And because I unlocked it from my inner circle, it means other people are now unlocking it because they see the proof of concept. And I think mm-hmm. that's why there's a, there's a beautiful thing with masterminds and with the business coach and with things like that, because it's like, hey, if you want to be in my inner circle, and I do this, like I, I pay for a business coach. I pay big money to be in someone's inner circle that makes hundreds of millions of dollars so I can see it's possible. So then I can go, that's what you do. They're the strategies. That's the big thinking that I need. And then all of a sudden, my limiting beliefs have completely changed because I'm no longer limited by what people believe around me, my family believe around me. I'm believing something from a whole nother circle. Mm-hmm. Now we get limiting beliefs thrown at us and we get advice thrown at us like it's free popcorn all the time, right? <laughs> people love throwing that stuff at us and it comes from yeah. our friends and family and people trying to keep us safe. But I know for me, because my inner circle, I keep it so tight and I don't allow, um, you know, people coming in and trying to shake my boat with what they think I can do. But I know a lot of people, their inner circle could be like their mom and their partner and like their best friend and their best friend is not really living the life they want. And they maybe their mom's not financially free like they want to be, but they mm-hmm. accept the advice for free from those people. And what they're accepting is their limiting belief. So for instance, like if, if you, for instance, was like, I'm going to start a podcast and I want to, I want to make it a six figure podcast and I want to make money from all my sponsors and stuff. And if your mom was like, I don't think you should leave your job for that though, because it's risky. Then you're (laughs) pegging yourself of what her limiting belief is because she doesn't believe she could do it for herself, which Mm -hmm. does that mean you shouldn't try because she couldn't believe for herself. And I'm not saying anything about your mum there, but um, (laughs) it's just often that we take advice from, from people that maybe shouldn't be giving us advice because they're not they're not um, achieving the higher level success that we want to achieve in our business. And I'm talking in happiness. I'm talking about in wealth. I'm talking about in you know 
all those things overall mm-hmm. in relationships. But f- if you want to get, if you want to be, have an amazing marriage, if you want an amazing relationship, like don't take advice from your friend that's been single his whole life because the limiting belief there, you know, it's, it's going to peg onto you and it's going to be hard to level up. Yeah. So, in my mind, the easiest way to level up is like get into a room where you're no longer the smartest person. Get into a room where people are inspiring you. They're pushing you. There's not one person in my life that's been more successful than me that's told me to settle down. You can't do. You shouldn't do. You don't know how. You're out of your depth. Get in your own lane. Like not one other person. But people under me are always telling me that. Jai, stop doing so much. You should calm down. You should take days off. Like so you need to get into those rooms. Like where where are you filling your cup? And Think about the people that you're surrounding yourself with right now. Are they those people that are lifting you up or are they are they projecting those limiting beliefs onto you? Mm-hmm. As, a, as a funny note, when we started this podcast, um, well, my mother and I are very close. She supports me to no end. I love her very much. I saw her popping up. You're lucky she's not here. That, that clearance. Wait, is she out. on Clubhouse? <laughs> is she on Clubhouse? Yeah, I gave her an invite because she's. Uh, yeah, oh, that's so she, nice. she likes to help that's, people out with um, with positive so thinking. Funnily enough, <laughs> that's so good. Shout but, out to your mum, man. That's so good. Uh, <laughs> thanks. Uh, well, yeah. So, like, like Greg said specifically, they, they believe they believe it's true, which is funny because these are just things that we tell ourselves, you know, they're, they're not actually the truth, are they? They are like, we've heard them, we've internalized them and they've, they've become a little bit more than the truth. They've become like our truth and they hold us back. So I, I know like it's, it can be a really damaging thing to kind of believe in this kind of limiting mindset because you don't get anywhere. And I remember struggling with that, like during my teen mm. years, you know, I'd keep a journal and it's funny looking back at my journal and I'd be like, wow, what was I, what was I thinking? But, you <laughs> it, know. It's funny though, because um, like, you know, I, I can make seven figures a year, but I still have the same, I have limiting beliefs, like everyone does. And so yeah. like all the listeners out there, if you're making 10 grand a year and, and your friends are wherever they're at and, and you believe what they believe, like don't forget like you're always at that stage. I've met people that make hun- like hundreds of millions of dollars and they like I can listen to them and their limiting beliefs as well, you know, of why they're not a billionaire and like things like that. So if we're all we're all on the same path, it's all the same journey. Um, it's just different stages of the journey, but it's it's not easy for anybody at any level to break through those limiting beliefs. And that's literally when you have the epiphany moment when you can break through it, that's when you go, oh, I'm at another level now. And then when you get to another level, like the ceiling smashes, you also get another floor. So that Mm -hmm. means you'll never go below that floor anymore. Because even now, if I go bankrupt, it means shit to me because I can literally, like, I know how to make new money. I'm already at a new level. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter about the money in my bank account. It matters like in my mind, what can I do? How can I hustle? How can I make things work? So just remembering like, yeah, new ceiling, new floor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the ceilings. Um, You you are big on setting goals and in particular setting unrealistic goals which i found really strange to hear initially because it sounds kind of counterintuitive so can you tell us about why you should set unrealistic goals yeah this is my favorite thing man and i've been setting unrealistic goals since i was a baby i reckon so (laughs) it's it's funny because look one of the things that i hate people saying to me and i've hated this my whole life with vengeance when people say be realistic Jai, mm. be realistic. You know, hey, I want to be a six-figure wedding photographer. Be realistic, though. Like, is that real? And when people say that, that's like a limiting belief that someone's giving me. But 
Mm. My whole thing is like, be unrealistic, man, because we only live once and life is magical and there's so many things we can do. And who are you to tell me what my, what is realistic and what's unrealistic for me? And so with unrealistic goals, right? And I'd love to put this in context of like the wedding photography summit. So the wedding photography summit was like, I'm good at marketing. And so I was like, I reckon I can run the biggest wedding photography workshop in the world. And that would be 5,000 people. And I I actually believe um, I can get that easy. So that was my realistic goal. And I was like, well, well, let's make it unrealistic then. 10,000 people and let's put it out to everyone. Tell them that I want 10,000 people. So then I'm accountable and I'm going to work hard for it. Now, I remember when I hit 5,000 and that was like a week or two before the actual summit. And I was like, if I went with my realistic goal, I would have just stopped right here and I would have been happy. But because I'm going unrealistic, I'm like, man, now is the hard bit. Now I have to do the last 5% where I've got to show up and got to keep pushing. And we got to 8,000 people. <laughs> but I I surpassed my realistic goal by 3,000, which is huge, right? Mm. But if I didn't do that, imagine if I didn't even hit my realistic goal. Now that's fucking disheartening. It's like, man, I had a realistic goal that I believed I could have done it and I didn't even hit that. Like that's... That's terrible. At mm. least not hitting an unrealistic goal. It's like, well, I didn't want to hit it because if I hit it, it was too realistic. I need it to be much bigger. I need to think of a bigger game. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone that I've ever met that's like really successful in any way, they've always said the biggest regret that I've ever had is I always played small. And even when I thought I was playing big, it was just always small. Small plans means small results and mm-hmm. um, you know, small actions, small mm-hmm. goals, like all those things. And for me... I still regret it. I'm like, why didn't I aim for 20,000 people? You know, why did I go for 10? Why am I playing so small? So the next summit that we're running in, in two months, I'm like, well, we're going for 20,000 now. Like, let's, let's ramp it up and see what else I can do. So if you want yes. to like, if you want to grow yourself, if you want to see where the magic is and if you want to get people inspired, having an unrealistic goal is so inspiring because it's like, shit, I want to get involved in what this person's doing. This is incredible. But having a realistic goal is so uninspiring because it's just work. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, today's goal is I want to go to work. I'm going to catch the train. I'm going to go to work. Well, that's realistic, isn't it? And it's like, well, <laughs> I don't get around that. It's, it's boring. It's un uncreative it's unmotivating but when you have an unrealistic goal then it's like you're going to bounce yourself out of bed hit that alarm you probably won't even have an alarm because you're so motivated by the fact that you got no idea how you're going to hit this crazy goal but you're ready for it and you're doing it and you're getting creative and you're getting motivated and all those things are coming and mm-hmm. you're going to do so much more than what you even believe so yeah in my personal opinion i think if you're not you know, setting yourself unrealistic goals and pushing yourself, I think you're doing yourself an injustice. Like, I don't know why you'd be playing so safe, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Just out of interest, talking about the money, the amount of Facebook ads that you spent on the summit, and I've totally forgotten the number. It was around $100,000, I think. $100,000. Yeah. Wow. So that That's how hard you're pushing yeah. to get an unrealistic goal. That is incredible. I, I, wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have done that if it was 5000 because I could do that on my own. Like, that's the yeah. thing. It's like... How much are you willing to go all in? And if I'm not willing to go all in where I'm like so uncomfortable and I'm spending all my savings and I'm, and I'm fully going all in, then I'm like, then I shouldn't even start doing it because it's not worth doing if I'm not going to go all in. Like the mm-hmm. thing is, is like go all in and go big and, and like push something. And yeah, that's, that's what it's all about, man. And yeah. For everything I do, I go all in and I go unrealistic. And it's and I think it's the reason why I'm able to get as much success as I do in like the 
in the businesses that I have and the things that I do because because I wouldn't do it unless I believed in it. And if I don't, you know, if I'm believing in it, then I'm going to go all in. I'm not going to go 90% energy, 90% money. I'm going 100% yeah. all the way. <laughs> uh, I love that. It's like go big or go home. But for you, there is no go home. There's just go big or go bigger. <laughs> I fucking exactly. love that. Hey, and the, the thing is like <laughs> and when people say, and I was talking about this before with like having a job, um, where I work for myself, when people say like when you fail, like I actually don't believe that you can fail. And I think like the bigger that I've gone, like I've never been able to fail because because I know myself. I know that I'll keep showing up mm-hmm. and I know how relentless I am. So what if I did fail? It was like, well, I'd find another way and I'd stay up late and I'd work out YouTube ads and I'd work out, you know, Pinterest ads and I'd work out a different way, a different influence, a different person and I'd keep showing up and I'd keep showing up. So I think when people say that they've failed or they're going to fail, it's because they've decided that they're going to fail. Like they've literally mm-hmm. gone like, well, the next step's just a little bit too hard for me now. I'm, I'm, I'd rather fail and that's okay, yeah. which is totally fine. But for me, I'm like, <laughs> I know where I'd fail and I know when I wouldn't fail because I know mm-hmm. what I'd do to make it work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because I butchered a quote by Thomas Edison on the last episode about, you know, uh, <coughs> the th- a thousand ways how not to make a light bulb. But it's like every lesson you learn along mm-hmm. the journey is a lesson learned. It's a lesson learned. There, There is no fail. There's just you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. And each time if you take a step back, it's fine because you've learned how to not take that particular step back again yeah. and you won't do it again. Or even look at someone like um, Elon Musk. Like how many how many rockets did he blow up? And on, on the last rocket, like before <laughs> yeah, it blew man. up, he was literally said, if this rocket blows up, that's all my money. And then yeah. it flew and it was the first one that flew. And it's like, fuck me, man. Like how many times does this dude just keep showing up, keep blowing up rockets, keep getting like slayed online. Like people showing up, like hating him, thinking he can't, like he's too crazy, he's too unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And he kept doing it. And now it's like, he's the guy that invented a rocket that lands. That's pretty cool. But it wasn't an That's easy thing cool. for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's funny, just before we uh, jumped onto the, the, the podcast to start recording, Greg saw that Elon Musk had a room. He was like, oh shit. He, I don't like, think he was in the room this time, though. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> there was a room about him. <laughs> yeah, I actually Fair seen enough. that room as well. I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, no, oh, no, we're not going to get any listeners today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, right, so you're in business. How do you even realize what goals to even set in the first place? Well, I think um, you've got to have a vision for your life and you've got to know as in like, you've got to know what you want. So it's pretty hard to go out and just go like, oh, I want, I don't know, something. And, and then it's hard to go after something if you've got no clarity on what you want. So I think for myself, mm-hmm. my unrealistic goal when I first started as a wedding photographer, I didn't know how to use a camera. I didn't have any clients. I didn't have anything, right? And so what I said was, uh, I came home and I said to my wife, hey, I'm going to quit my job, which is a well-paying job, to become a full-time wedding photographer. And she said, do you even know how to use your camera? And I was like, no. She's like, do you have any clients? I was like, I don't. That's why I need to quit my job because if I quit my job, I'll go all in and I have to fight to make it work. So I quit my job, had no clients um, and I had two mortgages and everything else. And then um, the first thing was, it was like, oh, I didn't realize I was at the end of the wedding season in Melbourne. And I was like, damn it. I won't even be able to get any work, even no matter how hard I hustled until... Um, until the end of the year. And for me, it was like a little bit of an oversight. But the first thing I was like, okay, my unrealistic goal for the first two years of business was to run a workshop, to um, make six figures, be published and be an international wedding photographer. They were my unrealistic goals. 
And I can tell you right now, I hit all of them, which is cool. Um, But the first thing I did is because I had such an unrealistic goal. I was like, what do I need to do? I've quit my job and I need to do something. So I had a $20,000 car at the time and I um, straight away sold it. I think it was, it's worth 25,000. I sold it for just 20, just to get it out. Sold Mm -hmm. all the stuff in our house. I sold the TV. I sold all the stuff. And my now wife wasn't that stoked about it. And I bought, (laughs) um, I bought a plane ticket for both of us. And she didn't have a job, by the way. She was studying university at the time. Um, I bought a plane ticket for both of us to go to America because I knew if I went to America, it was wedding season and I had to start shooting weddings right now. And I also knew that if I shot a wedding over there, I'd be an international wedding photographer. So I booked flights um, and a trip over there for three months and then with no weddings booked. And then I just started hustling everywhere. I contacted all the magazines. I contacted wedding photographers, wedding planners, wedding venues. I put it out, my story out to everyone. I put a story out to all the publications. Like anyone that would listen to what I had to say, I was like telling them what my story was, what I was doing, how ambitious I was, the unrealistic goal. People shared it because it was like, dang, here's some weird Australian guy that's got some crazy goal. All right, let's see how this goes, right? Because it's because it's inspiring. So I did that and I shot eight weddings and then and I made some connections around there. Um, I met, you know, a whole lot of cool brands, a whole lot of good photographers and stuff. And then when I come back to Australia, I was an international wedding photographer. And in my town where I was, I was a big deal because like there's a guy that shoots in America and gets to do all this cool stuff. He just shot some weddings in New York and stuff like that. (laughs) And then I was booking work real quick and then I was able to hit, oh, I got all those weddings, all of those weddings published in different magazines and different blogs. Um, and then a friend, um, which Dan O'Day's here, but a friend, Todd, um, asked me to come and talk at a workshop thing up north uh, in Brisbane. So I went and did that. And then um, I decided to put on my own workshop and I did all of it. I, I became a published international wedding photographer and I had a workshop all in the first 24 months of business. And I got sponsors and I did everything else. So it was unrealistic, but Fucking man, hell, I went that's after incredible. it. <laughs> I went after it. I wasn't going to let anything stop me. So, um, yeah, it was it was an incredible time. And for me, it's not about the destination. It's like I love the journey. I love the hustle. I love being in that space where, you know, we had to get rid of our house and move into a share house because I couldn't afford rent anymore and had no car. So I'm just like, you know, getting car next door and Ubers to um, and hiring cars to get to the next wedding and not having any gigs. I didn't have any money. So I was just hiring whatever crappy gear I could off my friends to make it work, not using the right gear and the right lenses. And man, I just, I love being in that space because there's so much growth and you learn so much about yourself. Like it's endless possibilities. It's, it's a huge adventure and that's what life's about. You know, it's not about the destination and the end game. It's like, let's get in there and, and make stuff happen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's clear that you love the journey and love the grind. If if people have decided they want to set an unrealistic goal and they've set it, how how do they sort of track that and what should they be doing once they've sort of set that unrealistic goal? How should they be grinding <laughs> to get there? Well, I guess one thing is like if it's if you hit the goal, then it wasn't unrealistic. <laughs> I'm always very disappointed if I hit any of my unrealistic goals. Like if I did get 10,000 people at my wedding photography summit, I would have been upset because everyone was like, why are you upset? It was like, oh, fuck, I didn't think big enough, didn't I? Like <laughs> I need to be doing more. So um, I think it comes down to like if, if you're unrealistic, like I'm just looking through the audience right now because we're on Clubhouse. I know this is going to be on a podcast, but we're on Clubhouse. And if I'm looking through – um, and shout out to Dan actually, that's in the, in the audience. He was actually, I'm pretty sure he was, I met him at that first workshop that I talked at. So hopefully we can get him up yeah. to, um, 
at the end and we can actually ask him about that talk that I did in Brisbane, my very first one Definitely. because I was, cool. I was bloody nervous about it. But um, it's easy to track because it's like if you give yourself a deadline, so I always give myself a deadline, so it's like one year until this is happening or, um, you know, I gave my, myself and the team a deadline for the um, wedding photography summit. I thought about it and then I gave ourselves eight weeks or was it like six weeks for it to be live. And I was like, we've got six weeks. There's no excuses. Let's make this happen. And everyone's like, six weeks? What, for 10,000 people? Like, I don't know if this is, that's possible. And I'm like, exactly. Like, let's make that work. And I think like just tracking it with um, like hitting even smaller, like smaller goals. So like smaller impactful goals. So it's like maybe your unrealistic goal is you want to launch a podcast if you want to launch a podcast, like give yourself a deadline, give yourself three weeks. And in the three weeks, you need to have guests lined up. So you've got a few podcasts to launch. You, you need to have your artwork, some new photos. You need a new blog. Um, you need to publish it onto all the platforms. You have to have your show notes sorted, find an editor, like all those things. And give yourself three weeks, make it unrealistic. So that way you're going after it. And then you're going to make so much magic because from that, you're opening up doors. You're going to meet new people. You're going to be in the thick of it. You're going to be so busy that you won't even realize how many opportunities are right there in front of you. And then with that momentum, keep going with the momentum. Like don't stop the car. Just put it into another gear and keep going. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, it's, you, you've kind of given me a buzz. I kind of want to hear what other people's unrealistic goals are. If they're going to be setting any, I'm yep. excited for that. I'm excited. It's it's really exciting, and I I think when I when I ask people, um, people always start off with realistic. They always say unrealistic goals, but they start off realistic because they don't want to be called out. <laughs> people are so afraid of someone going, "That's not even real. That like that's unrealistic. Like don't even think like that. Like oh, that's impossible." People are so scared to voice what they truly want, especially if it's something to do with money. Like if. If you got me on this podcast and if I said, Greg, truly, I want a million dollars in my bank. That's what I want. And then it's like, well, fuck you, man. Everyone wants that. You know, like it's unrealistic as well. And like, you know, so there's so many things and, and we, we feel vulnerable when we're actually put our true hopes and dreams out to the world. But I, but I want to challenge people. I want them to actually go, man, unapologetically tell people what you want. Tell the universe what you want. Like actually like manifest that stuff because if you're telling people, I guarantee it's going to motivate people just like how you guys said you got motivated just now. It's going to motivate people to want to help you on that path because now I'm thinking, well, how how can I help to get you that million dollars? Like actually I could help you by putting you on my podcast or something. Like what, what products do you have? You know, I can help you with that. And then I'll think differently. And so will everyone around you. And that collectively, people love to see people getting out of their comfort zone and like, you know, going for the underdog. And I know I love the underdog. So, yeah, that's my story. You're right, though, because I'm kind of feeling scared to put my goals out there. Are you feeling that way, Greg? Do you feel that way? (laughs) Put them out. I need need to sit down and really think of some unrealistic goals. I've not... Tell me I've not got any right now, but I need to. I need to go away and do that. That's right. Uh, yeah, I feel like it, it. It needs like a like a really kind of meditative type of think on your life and what you really truly want. But you've got you've given me something to to work on. I have to say, you've Man. you've, men- you've mentioned yeah. uh, you know you should never be the smartest person in the room, and that you yourself have a business coach. How has this helped you? And do you think this would help our listeners to have a business coach? Man, like not having a business coach in business is one of the biggest, like I hate saying this because it's, um, it's like me trying to sell my own services, but it's not like it, it's biggest injustice you can do for yourself. It's like a boxer jumping in a ring and not having a coach in the corner. 
And the thing is like the coach in the corner doesn't have to be as good as a boxer as the person in the ring, but they need to be able to help the boxer do the thing that they need to do, which is just train and just fight. Like that's it. Where the coach, he thinks of strategies. He thinks of what's the next move. He thinks of what's the next fight. He thinks of like, what's the next destination? What's the future? And I think that's what it's all about. And we we forget that and we think, you know what? Like we, we get so stuck in our own ego and pride and we think we can do it on our own. I'm self-made. I did it on my own. And there's, I don't think there's any honor in doing anything on your own. I think the more the people that you get in your circle below you and above you, the more help that you get, the more um, empathy you have in that sense of like, hey, I'm creating something that's bigger than myself. It's not all about yeah. me all the time. I think I think you're going to go so much further and unlock yourself so much further than than believing you can do. You're the best editor. You're the best at business. You're the best at photography. You're the best at Lightroom presets and like whatever it is, uh-huh. right? And we all think it. Let, let's be honest. <laughs> and um, I, and I just think it's like it's it's the biggest killer. Yeah. That's what I think. I, I think like if you want to if you want to find out where your ceiling is, like that's where your ceiling is. Like not asking for help from someone. Now, I'm not telling people to go out there and invest big money into a business coach because you might not be ready. You have to be actually ready because a business coach, generally, they're different to a mentor. A mentor is going to tell you some strategies. A business coach is going to give you that energy to make stuff happen. And if you're not ready for that, then you're not ready for that. And it's going to be a waste of money. Someone's going to come in their own terms and they're going to get the epiphany of like, you know what? I'm stuck and I don't know what the next level is. And I know Jai's done it before and he's been there and he's relentlessly gone after it. And I know he hasn't just read the books, but he's got the mindset of how to push through that stuff because he's he's actually failed and he's actually been successful. So he's got something he's mm. going to be able to give me. Now, I think like that when I hire my business coach, you know, or coaches, and I'm like, I know, and I've seen where they failed, and I've seen where they got their success, but it's not from a book. I want to know, actually, how did you feel? How did you handle it? What mind frame were you in? Like, how did you keep pushing? How did you keep showing up? That's what I want to hear because, you know, what goals did you set? How unrealistic were they? Did you hit them? Those things are the things that make a big yeah. difference. And, yeah, I, I think, like, one of the things that people – um, hold themselves back in is believing they're the best at everything and they can do everything mm. on their own um, and they don't ask for help and they don't they don't get a coach or they don't get a mentor like it's it's crazy yeah. to me this is gonna sound absolutely daft but I'm gonna bring this back to my kids so my my youngest daughter Harley trying to get her to do anything is is a challenge because she doesn't accept help from anyone like she has to do it by herself Every time, it doesn't matter if she's putting on her clothes or trying to wipe the table. And, you know, I, I feel like that is kind of us in business. We're trying to do these things on our own. And there are just so many more efficient ways of doing the stuff that needs to be done. You know, some t- sometimes it's it just crazy, needs man. a parent to help you put on your clothes. So you're thinking of the business coach like a parent. Yeah, yeah. A guide, a guiding hand, a guiding hand. <laughs> Not- I like, I like the analogy of the boxer because it's yeah. like you're in the fight and you can't see what's happening to you right that moment. Yeah, yeah. So you step back and talk to the person who's outside of the fight, and they can see things a bit clearer, or they can give you some different strategy or advice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that analogy. Yeah, that's cool. It's exactly how it works too. Like it really, really is because I see it all the time. Like, man, I sometimes wish my friends would ask me for advice because I'm looking around, but I'm like, oh, like when I see someone and where they're at and with their mindset and stuff, I'm like, I know where you are. And I also know your next level and the one after that and the one after that. And you have to go onto those yourself. But like being able to identify where they're at and how they could 
double their income, how like, and you know, a six figure business owner where they're leaving six figures on the table, like things like that. Like I can see it all. And that's not being egotistical. It's just the same as like photography. It's like, if you're good at photography, you can see when someone's not using light properly. You can see when someone could have posed better. It's like, it becomes second nature. It's like, Oh, I can, I can see where the next step is for you and how you can get there. But it's up to that person to be ready and willing to ask mm-hmm. for help. Yes. Robert CJ, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having us, guys. I really appreciate you and your community and everything else. So thank you so much. And hopefully you've got a, a few new UK listeners um, to your podcast and support us to your, your business map and, and everything. So in case people want to go out there and find your content, do you want to tell them where to go? Yeah, come over and send me a DM. If anything if anything resonated with you, just on Instagram, jialong.co. Send me a DM, say hi. I'm always there saying hi to everybody. I love to connect. You don't need to be shy. And everything else is on my website as well, which is just the same, jialong.co. Nice and easy. But um, don't be shy. I'm always happy to hear about your dreams, your unrealistic goals, the transformation that you're going after and everything else. And I'm happy to help always. So, yeah. Awesome. And people can find us at cinematefilms.co.uk. Our Instagram is cinematefilms.co.uk as well. Yeah, cinematefilms rather. So is our Facebook, cinematefilms. We hope you have loved this episode. And if you did, you can join us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash perspective by cinemate as for a little as a pound you can support the podcast and for the price of a coffee every month you can get access to all the clubhouse q a's the roundtable discussions and even more bonus content that won't be available anywhere else if you don't have any money to give that's totally okay you are our best friends maybe just hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode goes online which will be for free obviously maybe just leave a review That would be very cool. And we'll even give you a shout out on the next episode of the podcast. If you do, just to show our love. However, in the meantime, enjoy your life. 